Sam and Maggie are a normal couple in a normal house in a normal neighborhood. There is nothing strange about their heads. Their na- their <laughs> their heads. They, they are I'm not sorry. conically shaped at all. Yes, there's nothing strange about their heads, conical or otherwise. Uh, <laughs> their neighbors or their sweet little dog. On the outside, everything is fine. But is it? A dark psychological dystopian horror tale wrapped in a deceivingly cute package. Everything is fine is the story of a couple doing their best to get by in a world where things are absolutely, totally, and unquestionably fine. Harvey Award nominated for Best Digital Comic of the Year. This smash webtoon hit is finally arriving on bookshelves in print. Don't miss your chance to get your copy today available wherever books are sold. And I am going to tell you about Fangoria, our corporate overlords. Fangoria has been at it for over 40 years and is better than ever. This gorgeous magazine is highly collectible and delivered right to your door. You don't even have to go out and get it if you don't want to. But you know what? You can. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it, though. It's so much easier to have it delivered right to your front door. That's what I do. That's what Scott does. And that's the way it should be. Each issue is filled to the brim with articles exploring every nook and cranny of genre filmmaking past, present, and future with all the most exciting journalists... Filmmakers and horror know-it-alls to guide the way, including, from time to time, your intrepid KingCast hosts. This high-quality writing, and I say that because we write for it, will only ever appear within the physical pages of the magazine, so if you want to join in on the fun, get that subscription, baby. To do that, all you have to do is head on over to Fangoria.com and sign up, and since KingCast listeners are in the family, I got a nifty promo code to share with you. Y'all can save a whopping 25% off your order if you use the code KingCast at checkout. Now, with all of that said, let's get on with the show. Hi. My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Bad rum! Bad rum! Sometimes that is better. Hello, and welcome back to the KingCast and the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. Folks, this week's guest has been one of the most reliable forces in comedy for the past two and a half decades, and we are honored to have him on the show here today. You'll know him as one of the founding members of MTV's The State. From his work in films like Wet Hot American Summer, Superbad, and Wanderlust, or from his numerous TV appearances in shows like Reno 911, Party Down, and of course, the dearly departed Brooklyn Nine-Nine. But today he's here as a newly minted horror director whose first feature film, The Outpost, hits video on demand this weekend. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the KingCast stage, Mr. Joe Latrulio. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm so excited to be here, guys. I have to say, uh, first of all, thank you for a wonderful intro, but I am a huge fan of this show. And it's not a, uh, I'm not overstating how excited I am to talk about Stephen King with you guys. Um, so thanks for having me. Right. Oh, you right you could thanks. always reach out. You know, one of my dreams is to slowly but surely get all the members of the state onto this show. <laughs> oh, man. And we, I, I, we had John uh, Tom Lennon on. Yes, he did The Shining, I think, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, You know, you're so right. Like, so often, uh, you know, I should have just reached out, but I'm like, ah, you know, I think part of it, I wanted to have something also to come on and talk about that involved horror um, besides just Stephen King. Um, So I I guess the time was right. 
we made so it. you made we this made movie happen. specifically to weasel your way onto the show. Correct. Correct. Love it. That's Love right. It. <laughs> <laughs> this is my ticket to KingCast. Um, so the um, the Outpost is the name of the movie. Well, let me quickly correct, um, only because there is actually another movie called The Outpost. Um, oh, it's and just we are Outpost. Just, this is just Outpost. Um, as all um, great horror movies have that one word title yeah. in them. Yeah, you, you, you had the Justin Timberlake moment. Drop the the. That's right. That's right. It's not the Facebook. The the legally mandated uh, <laughs> yeah. drop the 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 yeah. Um, so it's just called Outpost. Everyone listening, please disregard what I said in the intro. And um, this movie, uh, I will I will say this. This is was a really weird time for me to catch this movie because I recently I recently went through a divorce in Austin, and to clear my head and sort of get out of town, save up some money, figure out next steps. I moved to Idaho. Whoa. And I'm living out here, I think pretty fucking close to where you must have filmed this because Where are you? Can I um, ask or or Portland. Uh, Yeah, we uh we were an hour north of there. We shot in a uh, awesome beautiful area called Priest Lake and Coolin, Idaho, the two communities there. And um yeah, so that's where we were. We north or south? Uh of the le- we we north. Uh, north. north of okay. north of right Lane. Yeah, we were 30 miles south of the Canadian border. So we were really up there in the panhandle. Yeah. How do you uh, how, how did you enjoy your time out here in Idaho? Had you spent time I, here before? I, I hadn't. I I loved it because, um, you know, I was kind of fulfilling a lifelong dream of making a movie. But I also just love um, kind of like mountainous area and the outdoors. I'm a yeah. fan of that, you know, and so. Um, and the tower itself uh, was such an in, just an incredible structure that I was just psyched to be around it and be able to shoot a movie there. Right. Yeah, totally. You know, I, I grew up in Texas. I've lived most of my life in Texas. Whenever I've gone to a place that has mountains, I stand there <laughs> just like gawking at them in, in just mm-hmm. awestruck wonder uh, because they're not flat. You know, as I'm- I grew up, I completely can relate. I grew up in I was born in New York, but I grew up in South Florida, which also is extremely <laughs> flat. Yeah, so I was totally enamored and entranced by the geography of Idaho. Um, yeah, I'm with you on that. It's fucking it's great. Uh, politics may be a little regressive out here, as it turns out. Sure. Um, sure. But a beautiful country. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I have to say I can, real quick, like the the community that we that was up there were gracious hosts. I mean, they really were. And and you're absolutely right. You kind of go to these places with your own kind of bias and prejudices. And, you know, uh, and then what you find out is that you kind of meet people and you and you work hard and they work hard and they're nice and you're nice and everyone gets along. Wow. Fancy that. Like uh, it, it worked out and you just see um, how important it is just to kind of just respect where you are and just do the keep it about the work and, and yeah totally it's right. a happy ending right totally now you, you wrote and directed this movie and yeah knowing now uh how big of a stephen king fan you are and we will get to your stephen king origin story so don't preempt your answer to that okay. later on you know you know that's coming um mm-hmm. but like i couldn't help but like knowing that going in and watching your movie i couldn't help but kind of get a, a sense that uh you know your protagonist you're kind of in a lady's mind and you know, Mm -hmm. she's gone through a bunch of trauma and like it instantly sent uh, flags up in my, my brain going, Oh, this is like a nineties King 
novel, right? This is in that era where it's like Dolores Claiborne, you know, Rose Matter, right. um, uh, Gerald's Game. It's like he had that that time where that like he was just fascinated by like you know living with a female protagonist as she is uh totally. you know, trying to go through well she's surviving hell and trying yeah. to get to the other side of it uh do yeah. you think that that maybe played a a part since you, you were know, the I creator never, of this i never thought about it in terms of like uh king in, with those specific books right. obviously you know there's some some other things in there from king um <laughs> that is influence um but with those um I mean, full, you know, shame exposure here. I, I haven't, I, I didn't read Rose Matter. Um, um, so I can't speak to that, but uh, but certainly Dolores, uh, Claremont, and Gerald's Game is actually one of my favorites. I would say top uh, eight, uh, mainly because of uh, Jubert there at the end, who just haunted my my dreams. <laughs> yeah. um, just that image of him coming from the corner just stayed with me. Yep. Anyway, um, I, I mean, writing... Um, this movie in terms of that, uh, of Kate, the main character, uh, I just wanted to kind of write, write someone that, um, had to, had to struggle and figure out whether or not, um, she made the right choices in escaping her violence. And right. so, um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to get too in the weeds. It's kind of, you know, uh, it gets, it can get kind of boring talking about it. Um, how, how you write, but, right. uh, but I knew that I wanted to work with Beth. I, this was an independent, um, production. So I, it was going to be in my life for like years. And um, Beth, aside from being a great actor, happens to live with me. And so like this was a great um, a great opportunity for us to just kind of dive in uh, with a role that she's not used to playing. Right. Sure. Well, what's she like, what the hell, sh- man? Why are you keep beating the fuck out of me in this this thing? Like, can't can't I uh, be a happy, happy right. lead here? A happy. Exactly. Exactly. I- <laughs> I caught a lot of shining DNA in this movie. Oh, well, you got it. You I know? mean, yeah, uh, for, yeah, for sure. I mean, the, both the shining and, and repulsion were two kind of guideposts for me with this movie. Oh and yeah. Then, yeah. Um, and then there were like some other movies like, um, Kaufman's like invasion of the body snatchers has a great paranoid feel to it. And I, I love right. that movie. Um, even Amityville horror and just the presence of that house and, and how that shot and looks, um, so there were quite a quite a quite a a few kind of influences for the movie for sure. One thing that I would like to say, and you touched on it a little bit, um, the importance when you're making an indie movie of finding an interesting location and an interesting view yeah. is got to be is got to be one of the top priorities, you know, because your budget is going to limit what you can do, the amount of time you can spend shooting, exactly all that stuff. So if you you know if you go to someplace like Idaho, you know that just that natural production value, you know, I think, I mean, you hit it, you nailed it. Like I I knew that, like I kind of reverse engineered the story because I knew it was going to be cheap and I needed production value. Oh, well, where can we get that? Well, a view would be great. How about a mountain? Okay, let's do it there. Of course, not thinking about logistics at all at the time. And so then I started, (laughs) started thinking about, you know, what kind of story takes place up there. The, the horror movies that I love often involve descents into madness or paranoia or isolation. And so right. what kind of story would uh, be able to happen in a place like that? And and then I, I, I was thinking of, uh, you know, the fire tower. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, observatory. And, and then it kind of just went from there. And then this kind of circles back to you, uh, Eric, your question, like what kind of character would go to a place like that? Uh, you know, I knew I wanted someone that didn't know anything about uh, watching, you know, fire watching and uh, or the outdoors or anything like that. And someone that was 
kind of troubled enough to um, for us to believe some of the kind of behavior and, mode and actions that she took. So it, it all kind of reverse engineer itself um, from exactly that, like the production itself and, and practically making this movie. You know, this isn't a new thing. It's happened before, but lately it seems like it's happened more frequently. And and uh, that's people with comedy backgrounds getting into horror. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering just what your perspective on that is. You know, I'm thinking about Jordan Peele's rise over the last few years or Zach Kreger exactly. doing Barbarian exactly. or, you know, yeah, now you're I, here with this. I, I think that they, a comedy horror, and I think Jordan Peele had, had touched upon this already, that, I mean, they both operate in similar worlds, It's which is that they, they elicit immediate responses. You're either going to get a laugh or a scream, and they both kind of, um, mm -hmm. are depend on that type of timing and pacing it's timing and pacing too is re is really um uh, i think even more mm. more specific to why they work and why they're similar um because if you don't kind of wind that wind that jack in the box up <clears throat> it's not going to scare you or or make you laugh um quite right so i think i think that's why i think also uh, comedians are pretty observant people i think they're able to kind of watch behavior and um and are able to take the absurd uh, uh, to to you know uh, very far places. So whether that's it's whether it's a joke or whether it's a, a gore effect or or um, or a creature uh, how a creature looks, I think you could kind of make comparisons there. I don't know. Right I think so. I think it's around. I think some. I think it's in there somewhere. One of the really undersung. This is off topic, but one of the really undersung like comedy to horror transitions I've seen in the past decade was. Uh, Matthew Holness, who plays Garth Marenghi on mm -hmm. Garth Marenghi's oh, Garth yeah. Place, He's incredible. did a movie called Possum. Did you see that? No, I did not. Oh, I'm my writing it fucking down Lord. Oh, I love him. It'll, it is a rough set. It is some super dark shit. Um, I don't <sighs> oh, want to tell awesome. you anything about it beforehand, cool. but Sean, Sean Harris is in it. He's like the lead guy. He's he's oh, like the, the fucking, what is he, wow. Scottish, Vespi? Mm, yeah yeah he's like most people know him as like one of the main bad guys in the later mission impossible right got it okay, right, right, okay. Yeah. so yeah he, he's, he's like the, the dude that's a quiet menace and presence you know yeah and that, you know, he's oh, nice turns in an all-timer performance and that definitely check that out if you have for sure oh, and for uh, of course we encourage our listeners to check out the outpost when it hits video on demand this Friday. And Outpost as well. Just Outpost. God damn it. Did I do it again? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> did. You, it, fucking it's hell. Oh, you know why? It's I've got, I've got the intro in front of me on the computer and the Outpost <laughs> is sitting here right in the center of the page. That's why I did it. I'm going to close Listen, that Listen, Jake, Jake Tapper's The Outpost is another good movie. I don't mind sharing <laughs> that, sharing this limelight with him. Do you ever think of calling it just out, Outpost 2 and seeing what, what they would do? The no, OP. Outpost 2 will be called Bride of Outpost, of course. <laughs> right. <It's> perfect. <laughs> Outpost Reborn. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I'm, one thing I'm curious about is like uh, to go back to the state for just a moment. Like, are all you guys in constant communication or do you go periods without speaking to one? Another? Like how how close is the group still? We, uh, some of us are closer than others. Uh, no, we don't all talk um, all the time. And I think, you know, some, some of us have, have kind of like branched off and done other things and have kind of kept to themselves. But um, a few, there's a few pockets. I know that um, 
a few a few of the state members were, were trying to uh, get um, like a reunion started or some type of show. And, um, you know, I was I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in that. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, it, it's it's not as tight as it was. Like it's kind of like a it's kind of like a marriage that has been together for so long. And there's, you know, some dysfunction that, you know, after you become an adult and take some therapy, you're like, oh, it's maybe a little healthier for all not together all the time. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so it's a little bit of that without saying anything disparaging. It's just, you know, life happens and you kind of grow apart. But overall, um, you know, I see um, Ken Marino uh, a lot and, and David Wayne. They're doing this thing called Middle-Aged Dad Jam Band, some shows that they do. And, and so I was, uh, you know, singing some tunes with them. Um, so, yeah, uh, <laughs> in pockets, in pockets, we, uh, we, we connect. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, what kind of what kind of songs is the middle aged jam band covering? They're all seventies and eighties covers, so everything from like Billy Joel. Uh, I did Baker Street <laughs> one show, um, all for Lena. Uh, you, you know, Bye Bye Love of the Cars. Um, they opened the show with Magic to Do with Pippin, which was fun. Um, so it's uh, it's one of those things that I think happened in the pandemic. Um, uh, or just after, you know, when it was kind of wrapping up and just, you know, it's one thing that David and Ken do very well is just like occupy their time with something and be creative, which I, you know, I promote, I'm, I'm a full on advocate of that for sure. Yeah. Create, okay. create, create. Well, I think we should move on to your Stephen King origin story. You're mm. a listener of the show, so I know you know what that means. I um, certainly do. What is yours? Uh, before uh, you before you say anything, uh, I want to preempt this by saying that you had a drawing sent over that you made when you were 13 years old. Yes. That is yes. just a portrait of Stephen King, but not like it. it, it I'm going to guess that this was like based off of one of the like author. That's uh, bio That's images. exactly right. Because it, and it's not one of the more flattering ones. I want the <laughs> listeners to fit this in, in their mind's eye. This is like it's early King. king. At, yeah, it's early it's King, early. but it's King. It's King at his like when he's heavier without a beard, and he's kind of got the side profile going on. So it looks like his his uh, his neck is about four times too big. Yeah. Yes, it looks and, like and, and I'm not portrait and this of him all laying on the ground at his feet. Right, right. <laughs> he's got like a, a plaid plaid pad a plaid pattern jacket. I think yeah. like it's with, with a, a, a huge collar and yeah, correct. Um, but uh, and this isn't a, a critique of your artistry, by the way, because oh, no, I know please. this photo. This is what he looks like. Yeah. So, <laughs> But I, I just I just want to point that out that you you are a fan enough to have done this uh, at that age. So I want that to be in the, in the listeners minds as uh, you regale them with your Stephen King. Origin I story. appreciate that being on the record. Be and it's a great intro because it kind of is indicative of my utter obsession and compulsion with this man. And I mean, Stephen King was pervasive in my preteen and early years. And I, I, I think <clears throat> I thought long and hard about this um i believe the first i was introduced to his writing um a buddy in middle school so i, I was you know 10 or 11 11 or 12 um gave me night shift and specifically graveyard shift which isn't one of the stronger um stories but you know, I hadn't really read anything like that about giant rats and and mm -hmm. the graphic gore that was in there um and and so i started to kind of pursue other uh other other novels and i i have a vivid memory of going into i don't know could have been walden books could have been b dalton could have been any of those could have been mm -hmm. kmart um and seeing the muzzle of this 
awful looking dog and it wasn't the hardcover of Cujo which is the he's coming out of the fog there it was the paperback which just right. kind of circles the muzzle and the rest of it is black it's got this one drip down there and I'm like what the fuck is that like and so I immediately go there see it Stephen King I'm like oh I think this is that night shift guy um, and so Cujo is the first book that I read and when yeah. you're reading that book at like 11 or 12 and you're reading a passage about a dude ejaculating all over a mattress and a boy yeah. being attacked by a dog you're hooked for life man that's it you're <laughs> in for good and so I'd like, I I'd, like, I'd like to interject real quick and point out that those two incidents in the book are not related no, no 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 uh, no no the, the man ejaculating Ejaculating on the mattress is not doing so because a boy is being attacked by a dog. I just Correct. Clear it on the record. Excellent, excellent clarification. Yes. No. Um, and so uh, that kind of began um, my quest. And it gets a little bit pretty intense from there, which is to say, so I, I was an Atari 5200 guy. I wasn't a ColecoVision guy. And so I, I took the big box that Atari 5200 was in and um, started collecting all the hardcovers of, um, of Stephen King books up until that point. So up until like uh, 83. So I guess around Christine. And so what I did is I drew on this box um, uh, SKS, which stood for Stephen King emergency storage it was kept under my bed with all the hardcover books so in the event of a fire i didn't save my dog or my brother or my parents i would grab the box and get out of the house and i would have i guess i would have the books to read um in therapy uh you know um, you know grieving over my dead family um but that was kind of the level of uh intensity i had um i wrote a letter i wrote a letter to stephen king um, around 12 or, or I guess I was 13, uh, with just a, a completely dumb question. It was, I think it was like, I had read Christine and I'm like, so at the end of the book, are you saying that maybe the car is going to come back? I mean, it's very obvious. This is what he was saying, but like, I, I kind of ask, I asked that question and casually mentioned the dark tower. So about four weeks later, an envelope comes back with the Stephen King return address. I honestly couldn't open it. I gave it to my mom. I was oh shaking so much. I, I, you know, for a 13-year-old, it, it, I might as well have been getting a letter from, you know, oh my God, God. I don't know. Uh, yeah, God or Anne Solo, I, one of the two. Well, there's not a difference between either. Um, no so, uh, and so I opened this letter, and it's a – like a promotional form letter, uh, an order form for the Dark Tower, <laughs> and, I, and it, it of course acknowledges nothing. It was actually signed by him, so I did get a real autograph from Stephen King, which was incredible. And of course, I didn't. I I, I was thrilled, but I just thought it was kind of funny that it was like, "Don't forget to get the Dark Tower." Um, and yeah, here's. Yeah, drink your Ovaltine. Yeah, drink your say, Ovaltine, kid. That, that is your be sure to drink your Ovaltine moment, right? <laughs> uh, without a doubt. So from, um, from yeah. a flyer. Yeah, it, it was not a flyer. It, it was it was a letter. It was like a form letter, a type letter oh, right, that right, was right. saying when Dark Tower was coming out and thank you for being a fan. It was you know it was in order, but in in addition to that letter, it had like kind of a an order form for it. Um, right. By the way, and I know you guys talk about this all the time on the show, um, I still have not read any of The Dark Tower. And I hear it's better when you've read uh, most of the other books, which I have. Is that true? Mm. That's, that's probably true. I mean, you're yeah. going to they're they're seeded with all kinds of Easter eggs and what have you to 
you know, just about every other major King novel gets touched on in some way or another. And I can imagine that being lost if on anyone that hasn't, hasn't read them. So it'll enhance your experience that way, but it's not, it's not entirely necessary to do that before reading them. So you're, yeah, you're in really good shape. But but if you, great. Yeah. But if you have read them, you get kind of that feeling that you get when you're like, say you're reading, um, well, Cujo, for instance, yeah. and you've read The Dead Zone, and then they're talking about Frank Dodd and the Castle Rock yes. Killer and, and all that stuff, and you go, oh, fuck, man. You you don't need to know that going into Cujo, totally. but when you do, you get that excitement. of like, holy shit. That's like, you know, watching, you know, Marvel fans will know that feeling now, you know, very well. Like, oh, my God, Spider-Man is talking to Captain America. You know, it's yeah. like, <laughs> you know, you, you get that, you know, you get that same little little rush. And, well, uh, I remember... Yeah. I'm sorry to sorry to interrupt. I remember, um, you know, reading Cujo and being so I was so impressed with the fact that Bannerman gets killed because yes. I was so used to seeing Banner, you know, reading about Bannerman in Dead Zone. And I was so with them. And and I almost couldn't believe like, wait a minute. So so he's dead now. Who's yeah. going to be a sheriff? But I thought that was huh? so cool. Like that you could, you know, the, the the enveloping world. This is all before, obviously, you know. Um, Marvel and all that just that was kind of new to me in a novel in a horror novel I just hadn't really experienced that and it just really locked me in um, and I felt kind of not entitled that's I don't know what the word I'm looking for is but I was excited and privileged to have like known about Batterman like I'm glad yeah. I read Dead Zone before Cujo and kind of went in order because I just felt like I was it was it was a it was a more poignant death it was a more horrible death because like here's a guy I was with for a while yeah, so if you you like that feeling, man, I I'm actually really excited. You you should pick up the first three Dark Tower books. They're cool. they're really quick reads, and if by the end of the second one you're not hooked into the world, then maybe they're not for you. But I have a feeling like by the second one you're hooked into the world, and then the stuff that really starts the holy shit crossover stuff starts in book three. So cool. But by then you should be in on the journey and just ready to follow follow uh, Roland and his uh, quartet where wherever he's going and uh, it takes you to some wild places, especially if you're a well-read and, and a uh, big Stephen King nerd. So I love it. I King King also um, kind of taught me um, how to write. So, you know, I was writing. Um, I mean, I started writing short stories because, you know, I was reading Stephen King and, you know, obviously I was aping his, his style and it's like, right. you know, one sentence paragraphs and, 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 you know, the way he would kind of end chapters with like, and lit and that little did he know that would be the last sip of Coke he ever had, you know, whatever, <laughs> yeah. what, you know, whatever. <laughs> and so, uh, but it was super helpful because I, I just really learned prose and I learned, um, you know, a little bit of structure and it was the beginning of me writing, um, in, in any real way, uh, you know, later in the state, I kind of understood sketch structure and all that, but at 12 or 13 writing these stories, a couple of them, oh my God, there was one I wrote called, uh, um, I wrote it, it was called majority rules. And it was, and it was, it was about this protagonist that this, that is describing um, this kind of army that's taking over Miami, like these, this kind of mob of people that are creating riots. And it's a first person, um, mm. like um, short story. This may lean into survivor type pretty well. And so, and so the story he's talking about how these people didn't want the metro rail um, to happen, and they were like moving north and attacking cities with metro rail, and. And, and it turns out that 
the the protagonist, our hero, is the architect at the end of the story. It's like three pages. Is the architect of the metro rail, and he is he is chained to a metro to the to the rail. And the mob is not actually mob, but they are these kind of humanoid uh, robot creatures that short circuit whenever they get too close to the rail, and they're kind mm. of they're, they're revolting. It's it's you know not a great story at all, but like it was using like all these kind of elements of first person little hints and clues uh like he, he you know of 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 the story to kind of um describe the plot and kind of reveal the plot at the very end it was like a gotcha kind of story and that's all king that's all you know a lot of that i just learned through reading um reading old sk that's right. a lot better than the shit i was coming i i also <laughs> like tried my hand at short stories when i was around that age and yours is a lot i tell you that's a lot better idea than anything i ever came up with because i was just aping the shit out of stephen king oh we all i remember i remember at one point trying to write a story called snow and it Uh was this brutal fucking cujo ripoff about (laughs) like this small town in colorado up in the mountains and they were about to hold their big you know yearly festival or whatever and uh the town becomes menaced by this large wolf that's in the area called snow because it's all white and uh the backstory was that Snow got into a uh, a cave and got bitten by some rabid rabbits uh-huh. and, and gone rabbit. I thought I would get away with that. I was yeah. like, oh, you know, but I was just like, oh, this is how you do it. This is good. Well, I mean, I mean, it's a testament to how easily he got into our brains, how like those concepts were very easy to understand. They were very clear um, and they were rewarding in a way. They like like understanding how um, a monster can be created. I mean, it was that and it was all like the pop culture references and songs and stuff that he you know, you could argue that he uses songs a bit too much in his in his stories. But even even just snacks or TV shows uh you know that was that was new to me that just felt like right. oh, this is like down the street i mean you know this is no new news but uh, you know it it definitely affected me um uh in in a real way in a way that like this 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 could happen next door it's interesting that you talked about uh graveyard shift being like one of your first if not the first king you you read mm-hmm. and how you were captivated by the gore because the story that you picked uh for today uh, is one of the goriest Stephen King stories. And I wonder if the reason why Survivor Type jumped to mind when we asked you uh, for title suggestions, like of what you wanted to talk mm-hmm. about, was because maybe it's tied in a, you know, a similar feel to that uh, early uh, graveyard shift. Uh, yeah, I, 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 um, yes, for sure. It was that. And also, I remember when I read Skeleton Crew that that story, um, I, w- I was enamored by not, that's not the right word. I, I just thought it was cool that it was like kind of a diary entry. And right. um, and and then the idea of this person um, eating himself was so grotesque and scary to me um, that it just stuck. And there's like, should I describe the the plot yes. or should? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just in case uh, people sure. haven't read the story or need a refresher, why don't you uh, run through the broad strokes? Yeah. So a uh, survivor type is, uh, is, um, 
is formatted in kind of a first-person short story that uh, revolves around a uh, a shipwrecked uh, doctor of of questionable ethics. And when we meet him, um, he has lost his medical license and was in the process of of paying the penalty and trying to get his license back, which costs a lot of money, by um, by smuggling some heroin. Uh, and selling it um, once he got back to the states, as you um, do, yeah, as you do, as you do when you want to become a doctor again uh, <laughs> after you've been dis disbarred. Um, well, I guess that's just lawyers. But um, so, um, and and the story is uh, is kind of framed in a diary form, and so we start to read um, the actions of this doctor and his attitude, um, and we learn about his you know, some beef that he had with his dad and he's, he's a bit of a, he's a bit of a sadist and, um, he, he has a chip on his shoulder. Um, and he's right. And there's no food on this, uh, on this Island, <laughs> Crucially. Um, which, which is the most important thing to note. And I'll also say that the Island isn't really an Island. It's like, it's, he, it's, he describes it in the story as like 270 paces long and like 150 wide. And it's just like this, a toll or this kind of sandy, this sandbar with a bunch of rocks on it. Jagged rocks are, are jutting out. And, and so, um, yeah. And he, and I didn't realize this till I, I reread it, that he was a, a Italian. Um, uh, it's yeah. Richard Pinzetti is the character's name, but got, uh, he changed it to pine. It's fucking wild that you mentioned that because like when I was a kid, this was the story in skeleton crew that I kept coming back to. Cause it was yeah. so fucking gross, you know? And yeah. I was just, I just loved that yeah. about it. Um, but I, so I, I must've read this story 10, 15 times over the years. And it mm -hmm. wasn't until they did a new audiobook recording for it in the last five years. Yeah. Um, I picked that up and listened to this one and they had a guy doing an Italian accent on the, uh, on the thing. And I, I was, wow. and when he said his name, I finally put it together and was like, holy shit. I should have been reading this in an Italian accent, <laughs> which is a really weird thought to have, but I guess it's true. You know, he's from New York. He's like, Hey, you know, to totally. <laughs> and, and, but, but it really did put things in context for me when I reread it, because right. being an Italian American, being Irish Italian, coming from working class family, uh, the idea of becoming a doctor or a lawyer was a big deal. That was like your way out of the kind of middle class. And right. this, and this character's father didn't think he could do it. Like thought he was full of shit. Like, and, and, and when his father dies, they, they hadn't resolved that his mother goes to start to kind of seduce this other gentleman down the street um, or at the bodega or something. And, and um, I didn't, it didn't really occur to me like some of the issues that the character had when I was reading it at 14 or 15 or whenever skeleton crew came out. Right. Um, and, and, and he mentions the character kind of mentions it in one of his last entries. He just starts going off against his dad. And I was like, wow, like I just found it truly, um, really interesting and, and, and observant like of King to kind of get into the deep, dark depths of a person when they're in their last moments. And like what, was the driving factor of their life, their entire life is, it just comes out right before the light goes out. Um, so I just thought that was super cool. And, um, and then there was just some descriptions in the, in the story that are so graphic. Like when he breaks his, 
he's chasing a seagull and and yeah. um and he breaks his ankle and it's described as like a gunshot he's like i heard a gunshot you know it, and it's his ankle and i'm like uh. oh and um and then like the seagull gets the seagull gets away like he's uh. crawling over these jagged rocks to chase it he's hobbled he had he had uh, thrown a rock at the seagull and broken its wing and um, it, the seagull goes out to sea and dies just, just, you know, he's not far from it, but he can't go in the water and it just, it's so brutal. Um, it's a great like EC comic style. Oh, story, oh you know? yeah. Just the vengeance and the, yeah, the, the irony, it's all, it's all really there. And one of the diary and the, the date of the diary entry is like, you know, it's it's February 18th, 19th, and then, you know, 20th. And and then towards the end, it's just like fe slash 40, like F-E-slash yeah. <laughs> slash 40, you know. Yeah. Um, it's just great technique and great way that, oh, you know, sure. King just kind of used these words to really get across a mental state or these nonsense parts of words. Just great. Oh, totally. Yeah. I no. forget if it was last year or the year before, but um do you do you know what uh Stephen king's dollar baby program is i i don't i think i kind of heard about it or read about it somewhere but i'm not sure okay uh, what it well, is well the thing is he'll sell the rights to any of his short stories to uh aspiring filmmakers for one dollar the oh, yes the, i have heard yes that's correct yeah, and the right. catch is that they can't use it to make money it's just like for exhibition and blah 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 but oh, we great. saw uh Last couple of years, they've done a thing called the uh, Stephen King Rules Festival, and okay. it's basically a like an online film festival that's built around this Dollar Babies program. So they'll show, you know, a new crop of Dollar Babies every year, and sometimes there's, you know, they bring in really good ones from the year before and play them again. But uh, we saw a live action version of um, Survivor type? Survivor type that, really that someone had someone had shot and. Uh, it was pretty good. You know, oh, like nice. all those all those things are like massively hampered by their budgetary restraints, right. obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I thought it was like for what they had to work with and compared to some of the other ones, I thought that one was uh, pretty decent. That, that's bold. That's not easy because not only with the limited budget, but it's just one character. I mean, honestly, this was a lot of the struggle I had writing Outpost where there's just one character and you have to kind of create these obstacles emotional or otherwise to kind of move keep moving the story along and so even though survivor type has um you know in the short story like great structure for it essentially he's just on that island and your action is like he's got to eat he's 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 tracking a bird um you know is there a plane like so it's quite a challenge um to to conquer there for that yeah plus the disappearing body parts you know, yeah, well, just that... digitally erase those as easily as you could if you were like a two hundred million dollar production. Right. Uh, yeah. Ex- ex- exactly. I mean, that's the other thing. Like, you know, there's all these pieces of the story that you just don't notice when you first read it, and you're, you know, thirteen, which is like, you know, um, the fact that there's, you know, some heroin, like a, a bunch of heroin on there, and you, you, you don't get that unless you have a character that would be doing that, and, and why would he do that? Like all these kind of this domino effect of of, of detail that really comes into play um that i just found really cool um that right. just to be stone cutting your foot off i mean that's a whole uh <laughs> just just a nightmare in itself do, oh my god do you think 
okay, let's say, <laughs> let's say you're on the island. Like, yeah. what are you starting with? Like, let's let's assume yeah. you've already decided to go down the road of cannibalism. Like, which uh, body piece are you losing first? Well, I I think I would be pretty uh, nervous about it. I'd probably just start with like pinky pinky toe or, or like um what some of the toes just to just yeah. to start. I don't I don't think I'd be able to kind of just do a whole hand or a, well, I wouldn't do a hand, but a, uh, the foot. I don't or or honestly. I might take a chunk, a chunk of my ass, just a, a por- <laughs> just a portion of just dig out, just like not like the thigh, like a the thigh area, or just near where where thigh meets butt, and just see if I can yeah. kind of get under there and then sew that up real quick, just <laughs> to picking, see if I- <laughs> you're picking you're picking body parts that would like totally uh, limit your your mobility on this island. You're like, ah, maybe I'll lose part of a foot. Maybe I'll take the, uh, the back of my leg. You're not going to be walking anywhere. Yeah, but what are you going to, I mean, for, I guess earlobe, and he does that in the, in the, in the story, but, yeah. uh, you know, how do you do that kind of surgery and really sew it up right, you know? Well, so that, you that, know. That's only going to hold you over for an afternoon, man. That's you the, you're right. I have intrigued by the toe idea because you could maybe go every other toe up to right. the big toe. So that way maybe you can get like a bird foot kind of thing going on. You look you know? like a fucking ninja turtle out there. Dude. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's, that's right. Yeah. You're like a ninja so, toe. It's a turtle toe. I don't, I don't know what I what would What would you do? With. Do you know? Yeah. Where, where would you I don't start? know. I'm, like, a, I'm, I'm a large man. So I think I, I have some, some, uh, some gut area that I could dig into before I hit anything vital. You yeah, know? but then that's just going to be fat, right? Yeah, but fat sustenance. Like I, I, I got a gut. I, I got a. I got a. I got that luscious ass, you know. <laughs> and like, but that's just going to be like, like the guy in Seven where he makes the lawyer cut like the love handles off. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, you could eat it, I guess, but it's not going to be protein. Although I mean I you know I think Eric's making a good point here with the fat I mean it's a start right like yes you, you got you got to see if you could do it because you know taking off a limb I mean you're now you're like cutting bone I mean this is yeah getting the hundred twenty for the first hours, time yeah, I, know, yeah. I, I know that you know he did it and he's like off in kind of a a stupor there but still like it was interesting he describes it like as like it was it, it, it was not really painful like the pain was somebody else's which i thought was like wow all right that's that's interesting way to describe that Um, well and it's also important to note in the story he kind of amputates his foot out of necessity because he broke his ankle so badly that it's yeah it's going to essentially poison and kill him you know right getting his bloodstream so it was you know when you're in that situation that's not like oh i'm choosing to do this it's like i have to do this if i'm going to survive have a chance to survive this encounter um right. i don't know if i if i could do i don't i wouldn't i wouldn't have been able to get out of 127 hours you know i wouldn't be able to get out of this oh situation. yeah i don't have the fortitude to break my own bones and shit to, Fuck no. to right. get out of stuff you know i i don't have that i don't i guess i don't have that i'm not a survivor type i don't have that <laughs> survival instinct like that but then I think that I actually do because my survival instinct is not to put my ass in those situations to begin with. I'm yeah. very happy to be a couch potato. You, you don't see me fucking heroin back uh, from right. Vietnam. Right. <laughs> yeah, see, <laughs> see, that's the solution because, you know, given the same things that are uh, available to Richard, um, if I were in that predicament, I think I'd be leaving that island on the, uh, the good ship. Um, 
SS intentional overdose. Yeah. Know? Honestly, you know? I was, I was thinking of that too, um, reading it. I'm like, man, at this point, you know, just, but, but I mean, I, you know, I'm sure that's something I'm not sure, but I speculate that it was an option. Maybe King was thinking about because, uh, because in the story, I mean, the story is called survivor type. And in the story, he's always saying like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to, you know, yeah. he doesn't want to off himself. And, and, um, he, he, you know that his character is like so like bullheaded and stubborn and like uh, and 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 a little bit of um a little bit of a bully i mean what's interesting mm-hmm. he talks about how he played football but he had to take care of his hands they keep uh, under he keeps underlying how important mm-hmm. his his hands are and there's this kid that's given him problem richie I think it's called, uh, I wrote it down, um, Ricky Tarico, like Rico, Rico Tarico, right? And um, and um, <laughs> he tells he tells Rico to beat up this other guy that's making fun of him because he doesn't want to ruin his hands. He's got to keep his hands so so uh, pristine and 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 you know uh, in shape. And so uh, it, it makes the payoff at the end where he has to start eating his hands. I guess all the more uh, you know powerful. It's cool. Well, yeah, because it does have that. It ends on that button of where he finally does it after spending the whole story talking about protecting them. And he gets to the point at the end where he's like, oh, they taste just like lady fingers or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. Yes, folks, that is the beautiful voice of Mr. Robert Zombie taking us into the mid roll ad break. We both got one. For you today two Ooh. sponsors very exciting um i guess i will i will kick this off <clears throat> experience the ritual at home as the acclaimed horror film malum is now available on digital from the twisted mind of anthony de Blasi and from welcome villain films because a bold and expanded reimagining of the 2014 horror cult classic last shift did you see last shift i did not good shit and I'm I've very heard, curious. I've heard it's to, pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah, it is. It's good. And I'm curious to. I, I we we haven't seen this one yet, but I'm I'm curious to see what what's what they've updated about it. You know. Yeah. On a search to uncover the mysterious circumstances surrounding her father's death, a newly appointed police officer is assigned to the last shift in a decommissioned police station, where a notoriously vicious cult saw their demise years prior. Malum takes the premise of the 2014 festival hit and flips it on its head with top-notch practical effects and special effects makeup from Russell FX, a knockout lead performance from star Jessica Sula, and a thundering score from composer Samuel Laflame. Malum is now on digital everywhere you rent or purchase movies online. Buckle up for a horrifying thrill ride, and be sure to share your thoughts online using the hashtag FeedTheDemon. That is, once again, hashtag FeedTheDemon. Thank you. (laughs) Feed that demon. Uh, I don't have a hashtag attached to my read, but you know what? I'll give you three guesses on who our sponsor is in this spot. Lumi Lat. What do you think? Lumi Lat. Well, you guessed it on the first one. I was expecting yes. maybe it's there to be some. It's because I have the script. Yes. Yeah, I, I knew you knew it. I thought you just broke the veil of uh, uh, this fiction world that we were trying to sell in this mid-roll thing. Yeah, Man, but like, then the mid-roll goes plug. on for like 10 minutes. You know how we are. We're chatty yeah. little bitches. Yeah, we're chatty, and we got to get through this shit. And you know what? We got to dedicate some time to Lumi, though, because they are right now our longest running sponsor. They love us. We love them. Uh, and even though I have out of my own personal stash of Lumi's, I need to place another order. And if I'm going to do that, I'll use our our uh, nice little code we have at the the, the end mm-hmm. of this thing and save save me some money. 
but you guys know the drill by now. Lumi Labs are the king of microdosing. They have the synthetic THC gummy that you can order no matter what your state's marijuana laws are. Uh, so you can, you know, feel pleasant all day if that's your uh, your cup of tea. I think that's how Scott uses it. I yes. use it more uh, as a sleep aid uh, because when I am out of my Lumi's, uh, I tend to go to bed at the crack of dawn and, and that's no good for anybody. Uh, and guess who's now going to bed at the crack of dawn because I'm out of my Lumi's. That's me. So I need to get back on that. Um, uh, I love these Lumi gummies. Uh, it's aimed at helping you relax. It works. Uh, Scott can testify to that. I can testify to that. And as I mentioned before, since this is a synthetic THC strain, it's not really affected by your state's marijuana laws. So you can order it wherever you are, regardless of how cool your state is. Uh, to learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com. And if you like what you see, you can use the code KINGCAST to save 30% off your first order and get free shipping. Again, that's microdose.com, code KINGCAST. Now, with all of that said, let's get back to Joe. I'm still sitting here thinking like you're thinking about what you're going to eat. You're thinking about what yeah, you're going like, to yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. Be... I'm going to tell you something. There's the, the your your thought to go to the ass is problematic for me because I like the only thing that you can really do on that island is sit down. And if you're going to cut pieces out of point. your ass, you're going to be putting yourself in even way more pain. You're never yeah, going to. That's be a good point. In, in a yeah, spot. that's what I'm saying. Like you, you're going to be sleeping on your belly full time. But what about, okay, so what about? Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. I think I think love handles is uh is not a bad option. Um or or the it's toe. A starter. I, it's a starter yeah. I just I, get I don't There's think no- I, I I don't think I would go this love handles route because what I'm gonna be thinking is listen, I could like rip a strip of this out and cook it, maybe. Does he have fire? I don't know. I, so. I don't think yeah, because he he's fire. snorting the heroin. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. So yeah, I guess then. I don't know what I was thinking was like, you know, he he does. I think he I think he I think he does, because I think he said he he was trying to find some uh, driftwood and he had some waterproof. Anyway, uh, whatever I could. Yeah. Yeah. But um, okay. well, let's say let's say there is fire. You know, if you're pulling a strip of fat off and then you're cooking it, that's just going to be like cooked fat. You know, Mm, if I'm going through the pain of removing a limb or what have you, I want. At the end of that, I want a nice meal. You know what I'm saying? Like, sure. I want to, I want to, sure, you a burger you, out of this, you, you, not grist. Right. Yeah. I see what you're saying. You, you want to, yeah, you want a meal. You want to get, yeah. you know, you, you don't want bite sized little, uh, little tri tips, you know, um, try, well, tri chips, burnt ends, tri- yeah, <laughs> burnt ends. That's, that's the one I was thinking. Yeah. I was thinking, yeah. yeah I was trying to remember burnt ends. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's not, there's not a lot of parts on the body to, that that is that is there to be cut off is the thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we kind of need that. most of it, you know. Yeah, there's not a lot of muscle that you're gonna not miss instantly, right? So, I mean, I, I suppose if you're if you're gonna cut off a foot out of necessity, you don't need that calf muscle, right? So. You know, right. It, it, right. You know, you can maybe you know cut above the knee. You know, make that a, a project that could last you a while. Uh, but then you also <laughs> don't want to cut. You don't want to cut too much off because he doesn't have a refrigerator. You don't want it to go bad. Can you imagine yeah. going through all that? Good point. Stuff, and then you spoil the meat. The meat spoiled, and you're like, well, shit. There goes like, yeah. That that's a waste. You how know? do you how do you do a jerky? 
how do you do a good jerky? Like, you know, so let's you, say you, 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 you take off. A, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I need to dehydrate. You can't like dry it out. Right. You can't, you know, I, uh, I suppose you could tan it, you know, like. Well, you take, you, time, take yeah. you try to get some receptacle for the ocean water. Let that evaporate. You got your salt there. And then you kind of <laughs> sprinkle you sprinkle some of that ass cheek on there and you, you jerk uh-huh. it up. You know? Yeah, you, you cook like rock. Hot, hot rock. Yeah, that hot stone, yeah. like hot stone mm-hmm. cooking. Cut cut it thin. Mm, that's actually sounding all, pretty good. We need you to have could a also survivor try type like, restaurant. You could also try like wounding yourself uh, and getting some blood in the water to try to lure a shark and then bam, stab it. That's mm. not a bad idea. He has that one moment where he's like, I stood in the water for four hours, not one fish. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, wow, man. Yeah, but That's if you have like sharks, you smell here. blood from miles away, you know, so that, yeah. that might that might be the trick on that one. I don't want to use that seagull. fight, then you don't, at least you're not hungry anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. You get smacked <laughs> up enough, fucking, you'll fight a shark. You won't care. Yeah. You can You'll probably not be very, be very quick about it, but you'll do it. <laughs> you, you, you and what? your Ninja Turtle foot will will uh, throw some of that, that throw some of that like heroin and uh, you know piece of meat. Get it in that shark, man. Get that thing floating. You know, put that thing to <laughs> there sleep. You go. Drag them on there. Get some fish stone. You know. <laughs> how do you think, in general? How do you think you would fare on a a deserted island? Like, what is your? What do you think? Like, walk me through a day. In the life of you on a deserted island, what do you think that looks oh, like? Oh boy, yeah. Is it well, just I crying? think crying. Yeah, it, it would begin in the fetal position, crying um, as the sun <laughs> as the sun rises, <laughs> and then um, you know I think I'd have to I'd scope out the lay of the land to see you know you know what's 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 this island got you know. You know, see right. if anything washed up, you know, just see if there's anything, see if there's any vegetation. What? How big is this island? Um, but, man, I, I don't think I do very well uh, on an mm. island. My day after waking yeah. up is exploring the island. Um, <laughs> looking yeah, at the island. Looking at the island. <laughs> looking at the beach. The island. The beach <laughs> uh, wondering how many other things I wish were here but are not here uh i'm yeah, picturing maybe. like a sunrise to sunset montage and it's just one setup after another all over the island you just like glancing at things like that's what <laughs> that's i did right. i looked at the island today it was good I, it's not going anywhere apparently apparently this island is uh, here to stay imagine how <laughs> like I, I you know since i've been up here in idaho i've been thinking about like just how remote it really is up here mm-hmm. you know it's 40 minutes to Spokane, maybe um, there's there's signs of civilization here. You know, it's not like uh, a field out in the middle of fucking nowhere. Or no. anything. But yeah. it still feels like coming from, you know, a relatively uh, large city. A metropolitan uh, it, area. Sure. Yeah, it it, it feels super remote. And uh, that's something I'm adjusting to for the first time in my life. I feel like on a deserted island, that feeling would be so pronounced. And not only that, but imagine how cheated you would feel to be like, I survived all this, but I ended up on this, the, the fucking one, like pinprick of land in the middle of nowhere where I can't do anything. Like that's gotta be, 
Mm. Oh, I'd be so fucking pissed. I don't think I could oh, get the, anything done. The, the worst. Yeah. And like even he handles even the boat sinking like a pro. Like he paid he pays attention to like the <laughs> yeah, safety, yeah. the safety lesson. Everyone's screaming, yeah. falling overboard. He walks to the lifeboat. The guy, the one of the crew member shreds his hand off on the on the rope because the lifeboat isn't attached well. And he gets in and he rows away. Like he is cool as a cucumber. And then he just gets to like a rock pile on some and you're right like he's gotta yeah. be like driving like it's gotta be oh you're like damn it no fault yeah yeah, yeah. Uh. i feel like if i was on his situation i would be fucked from moment one right i think if it was more of a castaway slash lost sitch where it's like a big right. island mm-hmm. with jungle and water sources and stuff i yeah. think that i i mean i'm looking at it <laughs> and the chilies and yeah, right, as, right. as long as there's a Home Depot, I can, I can start building, building my Home my Depot and Taco other. Bell, and then I'm set. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it's like I I'm trying to look at it like realistically, pros and cons. A pro, uh, one of my biggest uh, cons actually is I'm such a a homebody and a, a creature of comfort. Like I don't like yeah. being outdoors when it's above seventy two degrees, all that stuff. <laughs> but being a disgusting fat body, I have time that skinny people might not, right? I could right. probably, sure. as long as I have water, I could probably, like, you know, I got enough fat storage to uh, to get me through, uh, you know, a, a little small hibernation cycle, right? Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. like, you know, I got a little time. So could I use that time if I was in like a castaway situation to right. learn how to make fire? Yes. Yeah, I can. I could probably figure out the whole friction fire thing. Um, you know, through my vague Boy Scout memories, right? Uh, through watching all the the TV shit, watching Bear Grylls do it, you know, it's like I could figure out fire eventually, you know. So one of my pros is I have the time. But if I'm in that situation that he's on, where it's like I, you're on a little tiny outcropping where it's mostly just sharp, jagged rocks, there's no shade, there's no, you know, it's like I, 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 I'm done for instantly. You know? When I'm reading it, I kind of pictured the. Um... Do you guys remember the like the um, the cable jun- junction island in, in Jaws two that they yes. get stuck on? Like <laughs> yep. that's that's what I'm picturing when I'm reading Survivor yeah. type, you know. But but with sand, there's like there's some beach around that. Um, right. Maybe not as many rocks, but it's mainly that. And it's just like, right. and I remember when I saw Jaws two, which weirdly enough I saw before Jaws. Um, I, I remember thinking like, oh man, that place looks awful to be stuck there. And there's a shark swimming around you. It just looked like, oh, that's got to hurt climbing on those rocks. Oh, mm-hmm. think of all the bruises they're getting on their, you know, <clears throat> just, I remember yeah, feeling like aspirating the shit out of yourself yep. everywhere yeah. you move. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't yeah. know if I would, if I would survive like for long realistically, but I do, I, it did the idea to strike me that that me actually being a large man might help in the situation because it would buy me time to get over my my panic and to maybe actually try to figure out how to work it. But if the second it came to like eating a limb or something, then I'm just out. I just crawl into a corner and, you know, l- you know, let a snake bite me or some shit, you know, do something, right. you know, yeah, I, I, w- I would take the, the heroin out if it was me again. I'm not the survivor type, so. I don't know. It seems like the best part of the whole thing for him. <laughs> yeah, that's the <laughs> that's the one thing he has going for him. That's, is a fucking yeah, briefcase full of heroin. Yeah. Um on the subject of cannibalism, yeah. like let's say you you had a friend who is who found themselves in uh 
you know, a, a yellow jacket situation or like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a Donner party situation or what, ha- yeah. what have you. They are they crash somewhere uh, in order to survive. They have to resort to cannibalism. Do you what what would be your personal personal like moral boundary on this? Like, would you be. Would you be fine with it with it if it's a friend and not fine with it? It's someone you didn't know. Mm. Like, do you do you even mm. care? Like, I think I I would uh, in terms of like if I die, if they eat me, I would I would definitely be like, go for it. I'd be like, absolutely go for it. Um, you know, I'm pretty, you know, I, you know, I, I feel like we're all, you know, ash and yeah. dust anyway. So yeah. like, I like for, for sure, if it's going to help you kind of uh, get out of here, like do it, you know, oh, maybe sure. say something nice to me at the memorial that, <laughs> that, that they have, um, right. but, but, but absolutely. And then in terms of like eating someone, like I, I have thought about this. I, I and I still don't know. I, I, I still don't know if I would. I, my answer is like, yeah, I think I would. But it's one thing to kind of just intellectually be like, oh, yeah, for sustenance, I could talk myself into it. But when you're like thinking about all the all the fun, all the fun sketches you did with this person. <laughs> I don't know if I can have Ken Marino's earlobe. I don't know if I'd be able to do that. Well, it depends. It depends what cut of Ken you're getting. Right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Because if you're getting a prime cut, it's gonna be you know it's gonna taste good. Uh, you'll you'll that's be fine. Be delish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know he he's, he's does cute, look he's delicious as fuck. Oh, he's a handsome, delicious man. You can't, yeah. you can't argue it. You can't argue I don't that. Think, would I don't you think do I would, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I think that. I'll do it even if it's not an emergency. <laughs> I think That's in just like roll. if you're if you were if it were a friend of mine that did it, wouldn't yeah. give a shit. If it were me in that position, I would be like, but once it, once hunger really gets a hold of you, you know, I don't think any of this shit matters. I don't think I any agree. of the you know the the laws or customs that we go by as a society come into play at that point. I think you're just right. I want to fucking eat. And if it's Ken Marino, I'm going to eat his ass. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's right. I, I agree with you. I mean, um, did, did you guys see that? Um, the Donner party documentary that Rick Burns um, did. I did not. Oh, I don't think so. No. Oh, Oh my, one of my favorite documentaries of all time. Um, what a talented family. Those Burns. Um, he, it, it, it's basically um, a lot of fantastic photographs, obviously, and they have all the actors kind of reading these journal entries. Um, but the the music and the score um, is so haunting and eerie. And there's this, it, he creates this incredible sense of impending doom, even when things are bright and we're going west and we're going to like expand. Like that is so um, chilling. You, you, you have to find it and... Um, and 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 watch it it's 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 amazing and uh you know after you know some survive obviously and some of the people that were you know ate ate human flesh survived many many did most did some didn't one of them (laughs) one of them this weird looking guy had like this crazy beard he had a crazy name that i'm forgetting and they showed a old photograph of him and just kind of picture like drunk uh ragged uh, Ulysses S. Grant. That's what this guy looked like. <laughs> okay. and, and he and he opens he opens a butcher shop in California, like and and it's it's incredible. Really leans it's, into it, huh? 
he leans into it and it's so warped and um oh it's a great documentary um highly highly recommend it's one of my favorite just chilling things to watch it's it's great where is and it they at? have a store um i i i got it on dvd i just kind of ordered it um it, search it maybe it might be on pbs if you have what's it called app or it's just it's just called donner party right on and by rick but by rick burns not it's the great. Donner you party. It's just Donner party. Just Donner party. The Donner party. I think. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think Jake Tapper did that. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd like to. I'd like to take a, a quick uh, detour here and talk about King's opinion on the story and King's thoughts on the story. I get the sense that he is very delighted by this, and the history of it is he was trying to sell it to you know, magazines uh, back in the late seventies when he wrote it and nobody would buy it. It was too gruesome. And I Mm. think that he's really fucking delighted about that. Like when you hear him talk about this story, uh, like I've watched so many hours of, of him like doing talks at universities and libraries and shit, you know, that, that was recorded in like the late seventies, early eighties era. And, and two titles always come up in this era. One of them is Survivor Type, and the other one's Pet Cemetery. And this is before he released Pet Cemetery, because this is back when he's like, I wrote something that was so fucked up, I don't think I'm ever right. going to release it. Right. Right. Uh, right. And he, he, there's a delight in his eye when he talks about both of them. It's just like, well, you know, people say mm. I, I've gone dark, but they have no fucking idea because here's two things that haven't been published that right. nobody will fucking touch with the 10 foot pole. And people think, oh, I can, he can just. He can just post his laundry list or his fucking grocery list. And, you know, like, that's not not true. You know, like, they're definitely publishers won't touch some some of my stories. And these are examples. Uh, and then, of course, this finally got published. Um, when when and, was, and was it? Where was, was it originally published? I think this one was Terrors, if I'm not mistaken. It was okay. like a, a short story collection that wasn't his. And then he, of course, you know, put it, pulled it into a uh, uh, skeleton crew. But um, I see. Uh, I didn't but know yeah, he had I, that. Mean, I didn't know he had that kind of like wore it as a badge of honor. I I, I love oh, that. Oh yeah. That's, yeah. That's but fantastic. if you go and find any of those talks like he, he gets kind of giddy about that stuff and and there is a little part of him that delights in the super gory which is funny because that's not really what he's known for. You know, like he he does go to extreme right. places. But yeah. like, you know, he he doesn't jack catch him, you know, himself every yes. every book, you know. There there isn't like that um that uh, I don't know torture porn aspect to Flatter his work usually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of uh, that genre but, you know, of writing. But when he talks <clears throat> about this one in particular, like you can tell he's like, oh, he gets that that impish kid, mischievous, you know, hi, you know, EC comics loving nerd kind of starts popping up out of uh, out of his voice when he when he uh, talks can- about it. I so, could, I could, uh, I could picture it. I could picture it for sure. Like I, I didn't realize that he also kind of lumped it in, not lumped it in, but kind of also put Pet Cemetery in there uh, as one of these things that terrified him. I was, I was kind of just looking at the end of of Cujo because I didn't really remember it, and um, yeah, I, you know, I, I didn't, I, I forgot that you know after Tad dies in the book, they have this kind of epilogue with, yeah, um, yeah, with Donna and. Um, and Vic and and how how they're gonna like move on after the death of a child and yeah. <clears throat> this is a little dark but like having a child you real you know I've thought about that I'm like would would 
Beth and I, how would, how would that work? And it was obviously when I read it at 11, just over my head, I was like, you know, the main action of the story is over for an 11 year old, the dog's dead and, and whatnot. And, and, but like, just kind of reading that. Um, and I think he wrote Cujo between like 77 and 81. And then I was thinking about Pet Cemetery, Um, and because I, I guess when Joe Hill was, I guess, born in 72, I was doing some quick math here. And so like Mm. when Joe's around five, six or seven, he's having these kind of these thoughts. And I was like, wow, like, cause I, cause I started to think like that, not when Eli was younger, but like, as he got into this age of like, I would just be crushed and, and would, you know, would our marriage survive after something like that? It became so right. real. And Pet Cemetery, you know, released in 83 or whatever, he, that must have been in the mix as well. And I just thought, right. like, I wonder if he was just kind of exploring all that stuff around that same time. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. No, he's been he's been on record uh, as talking uh, about because he always gets that what scares you. And he sometimes he answers like, oh, uh, you know, snakes or the dark or what he'll say something jokey. And every once in a while, the interview will will either press him on it and he'll answer earnestly or he'll just be in the mood to answer earnestly right up front. And right in that era, especially, he was just like, you know, the death of one of my kids. He's like, that's yeah. that's just I one the, the thing that truly I'm he's not really scared of himself dying. Right. But the death of one of his kids in that era, especially, he said this is something that that kept him up and that he's like the curse of you know, the talent, whatever talent he has as a a, a writer is in his imagination and his ability right. to see things that he considers like and see him vividly so if it pops into his head he says i don't just see you know have a thought i vividly see it so when i think of walking in and checking in on my kids uh and they're dead in their bed i don't just have the thought i see them dead in their bed like i see them you know not breathing i see their their lips are blue i see all the details of it and and he's like that thing that can really fuck with you especially as a parent so it's not surprising at all to me that that era of Stephen King has a lot of child, either child endangerment or child death. And, yeah. uh, and a lot of it stuff, he's not wanting to confront himself. It's like, it, you know, he makes another, sense. another Cujo thing is that he, he's, you know, has said, you know, multiple times that his, uh, he didn't intend for Tad to die, but it just happened. And he didn't want it to happen right. any more than any of the readers did. But when he, when he wrote it, it's like, it's just, he was following the story. And yeah, he, I, I get this feeling, but maybe it's uh, more of his drug, his, his drug uh, era, right. where, where where he was following, um, you know, following the the narrative instead of leading the narrative. Um, yeah. Maybe or maybe that's just how he writes. I don't know, yeah. but he, you know, he was saying specifically there, like it surprised him when he wrote it out, like it, almost as if he was a a passenger, you know, in his own head as he was yeah i I remember uh yeah how even i was surprised as an 11 year old but again it was also something that um hooked me because you know i hadn't read any stories where like a kid dies (laughs) so um yeah i mean i'm and and i also think it's the right ending i love i love the movie um 
but I just love, I, I think the, the book ending is, is the way to go. Obviously, yeah. obviously they, that wasn't going to fly, you know, in the <laughs> right. movie um, and totally understandable. But yeah, I, I talked, I talked to D Wallace uh, about that. I don't remember yeah. if she addressed that when she did her appearance on the show, but I, I did like an article for Fangoria where we were talking about, where I was talking about the ending of Cujo, the movie and the book. And, uh, and I talked to her like to get quotes on it. And she was like, essentially like, just nope, absolutely not. Like we knew from the get go, like I made the demand. They're like, you, we're already ahead of you. We're not killing the kid. (laughs) (laughs) That that, that ain't going to happen. I do one of, of one of the many references, uh, in outpost. I have a Cujo reference, but it's a music, it's a soundtrack reference. And so Mm. this, um, my, my, um, the, the composer was this woman, Steph Copeland. She's a dynamite and a horror fan. And I'm like, listen, this is kind of a homage to uh, horror fans, this movie. And so like compose the, the soundtrack that you would want to hear. And we talked about, you know, Bernard Herman and Carpenter and all, all, all of them. And, and, but I knew there's one scene um, in the movie, I won't spoil anything, but uh, one of the characters is under a lot of duress uh, and being, and being stalked. And I, and I go, I'm like, did you see Cujo? The movie Cujo? She's like, uh, I think so. I'm like, well, there's a scene where Joe Camber is um, first encounters Cujo, and he's like in the this narrow hallway, and they got this great piece of music. It's like kind of a synthesizer. It's like a, it, 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 but it's hollow and it's a beat, and then it gets quicker and quicker. Um, and I sent it to her, and she's like, right on. So, um, yeah. so I used it. So she did kind of like a like an homage of that type of that moment. Which I loved in the movie. I was so happy when Camber and, and his buddy, who I'm forgetting the character's name, get get it. Um, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> that's fine. We do that on yeah. the show all the time. Yeah. It's all good. We love yeah. the alleyways here. Yeah. And I yes. started it by by bringing us down the Stephen King like thoughts on weird. Uh, I don't know, kid death and gruesome shit. So yeah. so uh, it, don't it all comes around. It. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do we have anything else we'd like to say about survivor type? Mm. Um, let me think. Yeah, check yeah. your notes, Joe. I gotta check. I gotta look at the notes here. I, I I went through all the notes. I mean, yeah, I just you know, I, it, it's such a gory um, story that I. It's a gory story that I. Uh, <laughs> I'm just enamored. That was like that was the one that popped out for me when I first read Skeleton Crew. Besides the Mist, was the one that right. I kept going back to. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the mist was the one that like had my attention. That's the one that I finished the book and then just restarted the mist. And like, I've read the mist over and over again, you know, throughout my, my young years. I fucking love that story so much. Ah, the best, one of the best yeah. for sure. Um, I think it might be interesting note to close on talking about, um, how not only does King kind of delight in the writing, um of this in terms of like oh this is going to be sh- good shock value it's gonna freak people out and you can tell that sometimes with with his books or, or his shorts you can tell that he's like aha you know gotcha i'm gonna be the the dude to make you go ooh, you know right. this moment right or oh fuck you know you can tell that he gets a little delighted as the author and you feel that in the story but beyond that like he does really like smart well-read like literate things in this story as he said it's like told in a diary and then by the end you know, not only is this dude had been losing a lot of blood and he's been methodically cutting pieces of himself off to eat to, himself to survive, but he's also losing his mind. You got the isolation, you yeah. got the drugs in his system and that affects the writing. And so you actually get to see King play with 
how from chapter to chapter he's deteriorating on a mental and physical level. And that's just something he uses words and misspellings and weird it's, punctuation and shit to, you know, to uh, get across. It's, it's, it's real. It's compelling. And it's, it's really um, original and unique too. just the way that he's yeah. like, you know, <laughs> like he, he has like some run on some like run on sentences like that, that go on about McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, like right. a Big Mac, a double beef patty, mm, pickles, cheese. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Oh god, oh god, I'm hungry. Yeah, and you're just yeah, like, yep. Yep, yeah, he gets. It's very Donald Trumpy, actually. If you read it now, because he's got that stream <laughs> of consciousness uh-huh. thing yes. that that, ha- that Trump does all the time, where he'll say a word and then he'll fucking continue on a completely different thought, abandoning the previous one just because that's the latest thing that's in front of his brain, and he just moves on to the next topic. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, very, just a clever, clever structure for that. And, and just, uh, just the idea and the, the, the idea of like, how, how much can you take? Like how much shock trauma can you, yeah. take, can a person take? I mean, you know, again, circling back to Jake Tapper's, the outpost, I mean, outpost is that like <laughs> the, the, uh, the, you know, all the, you know, big part of the movie is also, um, her trauma and PTSD. And, and, and I think that, um, you know, I'm, I'm quite a segue there, but like, I, I just want, I wanted to just bring that up because, um, it's just a big part of, of the movie as well. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it's, it's subject matter that I think is worthy of, um, just worthy of conversation because there's such a stigma attached to mental health and, uh, and PTSD. A lot of people suffer from it. Um, yes, indeed. Um, I think we all do after the last few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm not joking either. I think like, I think we're all really fucked up and we haven't even started to (laughs) to come back in with this. I I think we're still in it. I I absolutely agree. Not a joke. And I feel like a lot came at all of us and you don't really understand what it does to you um, until uh, down the line. I mean, one of the, one of the books I read for the movie is this book called the body keeps the score um and it, it was fantastic and the theory of course is kind of what the title says which is you could kind of forget about it but your body's not gonna and it's gonna be in there until you mm-hmm. kind of address it and i feel like that's where we've as a you know the whole country's kind of been in this place of trying to shake all this stuff out um you know it doesn't just it doesn't just um you, you don't just start again and everything's good uh it's it's time so i'm i'm completely with you on that scott for sure how do you how did you fare during uh like this the strict quarantine era right like yeah were you climbing the walls or were you kind of like you know i i I, the people i know are like it's half and half it's like well i already worked from home this actually wasn't too bad for me and i'm you know an introvert so i wasn't fucking around with a social life anyway and then there's other people like me who were like (laughs) like three weeks in i was like i'm gonna drown myself in a fucking toilet if i can't go to a bar with my friends like right right now i it was a little bit in between so i have a a group of buddies that we we had a a poker game in new york for many 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 years and uh since i came out to california um we've been doing them or, or and I've been missing them in person, but then when um, COVID hit, we started to do kind of a Zoom um, on Tuesday nights, and um, that was very satisfying, uh, 
but you know, I was drinking a bit too much at that time. <laughs> we you know, all so, were. <laughs> so many of us were. Um, and so, but we would, as we would sign off, we'd be like best night of the week. And it was because we just were yeah. able to kind of air that stuff out. But then in addition yeah. to that, I was able to take a lot of hikes. Like I, I live near the Verdugo mountains here in California. And so I was able to get out and, and really get outside it. And that I love. I, I, I kind of love solo walks. I like, that's where I kind of think I, I, I write or think of ideas doing that. And so I didn't spin out as much. Um, but mm-hmm. then there were moments where um, just the, I, I needed to be around people for sure. Like, yeah. I, I, like I, it, that was, that was a very real thing. Um, Cause I don't hit bars as much. Um, but I do go over friends' houses and we all like hang and have a movie night or, or have some drinks there. And yeah. that, that was, that was really hard. That, that was tough for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We had yeah. our, my version of that kind of coping best night of the week was a group of friends. We just would do regular video game nights. It was every Wednesday. I remember. Yeah. So every Wednesday it would be like uh, gears of war or we did halo a couple of times, but mostly it was like gears of war and we would, just it turned turned into like five core group uh, group of people and yeah. we just called it gears night and every it, nice. it was us doing like this horde mode thing where we could pay attention but mostly it was just us like talking and and you know, what's going on here what did you watch this movie did you watch what's a good movie to watch here well, you know it just was it was our socializing and uh and i i kind of fall scott with a lot of your friends because i was never like the the barfly person like mm-hmm. I, I love going to restaurants and and you know having meals with friends i love i missed going to the movie theater um i'm you know i missed that you know i miss seeing my my uh family but uh the the only thing that i will say is that it, it made me angrier being locked up and just being at the whim of yeah you know my, my socializing was almost purely through social media right like anything outside of my immediate friends list and and I, I could tell in those years that I was I was becoming my, my fuse was getting shorter and shorter for me getting pissed off. Of course, it didn't help uh, that, you know, the Republicans were in control of everything. <laughs> and uh, uh, and I didn't like Mr. Uh, Mr. Trump very much. And he was, you know, inescapable at that point. And um, so, you know, it, none of that helped. But the thing that 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 I remember the most about being really just angry that I feel like the lockdown stole from me personally was mm-hmm. um, I, I had a, a really great um, relationship with my young nephews. And one of my favorite things in the world to do was we would have regular like uh, uh, movie nights. So we would have I'd bring them over and, you know, they were. I, don't, I think at the time, like the oldest one was 11 or was 12 and yeah. the younger one was, you know, in the, the, his late single digits. And, uh, you know, we'd watch stuff. I'd introduce him to stuff like American werewolf in London and, oh, so and you know, crazy. little shop of horrors. And, you know, we watched ghostbusters for the first time together and, oh, you know, that amazing. kind of thing, you know? So it's like, you know, and that stuff you can't get back. Right. That and time, we can't, like, well, yeah. and here's the thing is, is, uh, when you, when we were in lockdown and, and uh, passage of time got really weird it was both eternal and also we were turned around and years were robbed right it felt like right that the the pandemic took from us right Uh, and it really was underlined for me by the first time i saw my nephews after that year uh the older one had gone through puberty his he he had shot up six six inches you know his fucking voice voice you know was was deep and it's like he was almost a different person right and i really that little period of time just specifically with the older 
older nephew was like, holy shit, this is like that prime era where it's the stand by me years, right? Yeah. Year that's like, this is the thing where he is, you know, I missed him like making that transition. Making friends that he's know. never going to have like he did at right. 12. Yeah. Well, I mean, and he's never going to do that with his fucking 40 year old uncle, but you know right. what I mean? It's like, sure. you know, <laughs> right, right. but you know, but, but the I mean, thing just was, him though, being quarantined as well. I mean, yes, yeah. you're not being able to pick up those movies, but him getting out there as well yeah. like I, I i hear it i i think if if i was uh, younger like because i i did go to bars a lot like as as i said like i was in new york i mean i think it might have been a little bit tougher um and you know i don't have any nieces or nephews so I, I went the other direction i spent a little bit more time with my son which was 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 great but that's now how tough. old how old was he when when lockdown he was uh lockdown he was just he had just turned four so okay. it was still, so. it was still young. Like I could, you know, but like four is a four is an age that you're just coming into some good stuff. Four still could be a, t- a little tyrant, you know. Right. But, but like, you know, now he's seven, and now I could, you know, I can't quite show him the movies I want to show him yet. But we could start talking about it. Like we saw Ghostbusters, and you know, oh, he yeah. just asked me about um, it and Jaws. Caligula. That's all he wants Caligula. to watch. He wants to watch Caligula. Caligula. <laughs> Caligula. Yeah. That's right. Would you? Um, <laughs> Would you, how old were you when the it miniseries came out? Uh, I was, uh, I, I guess I was like uh, 19 or 20. It came out in 90. I was born in 70. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah, thereabouts. Yeah. So, um, yeah. That, that, like Beth, that's a big one for Beth, uh, my wife, who's yeah. um, about eight years young. She was born in 78. And so, yeah. like, she mentions that all the time. Um, oh, all the, the, yeah, the it was formative for a generation, you know? For was, sure. It was on ABC, so it was like parents were like, ah, it'll be fine to show to my kid. And then it was <laughs> fucking terrifying. Right. Terrifying. Yeah. Like, but would you would you show your son the any series? Or like how many years uh, out from that? I, I think I think he's probably for me, I would say three or four years out. For Beth, probably five or six years out. You <laughs> yeah. know, like it's always a struggle with her and I on like when he's ready. Um, but I think I would, you know, I, you know, because when we were, when I was his age, like I saw, I saw the brood at like nine years old, man. The brood. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, and, you know, Piranha at like, you know, I think that was 78, maybe that was 79, the same, yeah. like, you know. So yeah. I was seeing some stuff that I probably shouldn't have seen. And I guess I'm relatively okay. It turned out all right. You know, uh, maybe not. Uh, but, you know, so I, I struggle with that all the time because he, it's so strange. He is so into, and I don't talk about it um, a lot, but he is into scary things, monsters. Yeah. And like, like, I, uh, like it's Foster, in, uh, Foster it, that shit, man. I mean, that we have oh, we talked sure. so many people who like, whose parents were, very strict on that kind of thing. And, and we've also talked to so many people whose parents were supportive of that kind of thing. And you can always sense the people who, yeah. who were strict there. One, they get a little rebellious about it, you know, which is cool in its own right. But uh, like, Oh, I did the dangerous forbidden thing. And, and that kind of made me who I am. But like, I don't know, there's always that little feeling you get talking to those people of <laughs> resentment and wishing that, that they had been supported in, in, you know, with that love from, from their, uh, from their parents. So I, I know you also don't want to put up with the nightmares, but if you can find. Oh, there's medium, a balance. I mean, I kind of dangle the carrot of like, look, man, if you keep on reading some big words, you'll, you could, re- I'm giving you permission to read whatever you want. If you yeah. want to read it, then just figure out how to read those words. Like, I, and, <laughs> I, and I honestly, I don't think he'll ever <clears throat> 
you know, do it, um, you know, at this age at seven, but it's, it's a nice kind of carrot to dangle for sure. He's into, um, every Halloween I'll read him scary stories to tell in the dark. Um, and, and he looks forward to it. He said, he, I'm like, I can't read you this every night. I'll tell you what, we'll make it a special thing on Halloween. We can read it. And, um, and, and, but he remembers, he's like, don't forget, you got to read me that really scary thing on Halloween. I'm like, I got you. I got you. What, uh, King, do you think that he could handle a, you know, maybe a here, there be tigers or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I was thinking about that too. The third grade. Yeah. Uh, the third grader. Yeah. He's going into second grade. That's a great, that's a great suggestion. Eyes uh, of the that's, dragon. That's, that's the one. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. A cool one. I, I don't know if I've read that one. Oh my God. Oh. It's, it's like, uh, is it like know, talisman? It's lo- uh, less dark than that. Okay. It's a fa- it's a fairy tale. It's a straight up fairy tale. Got you it. Know? Um, but that was oh, the right. first. That was the first one I, quote unquote, read. Like my grandmother read me that book. Um, oh. Do you remember how old? Or a you big. Were? Uh, I was very young, five or six. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, and my yeah, my parents were like out of town for a, a couple of weeks, and so that book had just came out. She was staying with me um and you know read it aloud to me every night um i don't think oh, we that's... finished the book i think i finished it on my own somewhere up the road but um, i check it out that would be that would, yeah, yeah great it's like it's got a little bit of darkness to it but it's not um y- you know there's nothing in there really that you'd have to worry about you know i i always felt that like being being a lover of the horror genre as a kid, I felt was always a very healthy way to, uh, you know, address all, all this repression and, and horror and fear of death, which is really what it all is, um, at a young age. And it was manageable. I mean, uh, this is not a new tale. This is why we love the genre. But uh, right. I just think it's I'm always surprised when when parents are so afraid of, of the horror genre, by the way, the kids are thinking of it anyway. They're, you know, they're yeah. thinking of scary things all the time. They're thinking they're going to lose you. They're thinking they're going to not have food. They're thinking they're going to be alone. And so it, this, this is a way to kind of put it out, get rid of the power and just to put it on the paper and let them read that. And so I'm always surprised when some parents are sensitive to that. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. But look, everyone's well, got or, you know, you, you know, just uh, have him listen to some episodes of the King cast and he can read along <laughs> yeah, with that's that. That's right. Here you go. And want to learn probably to is already very familiar with, <laughs> yeah, with very bad words. And then he can uh, sit. Here's the next carrot. He can be a guest when he turns nine. That's Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I love Cujo. <laughs> well, this is, this is usually the point in the show where we uh, open up a self promo corner to our guest. Um, We've already discussed that Outpost is coming out this week. Tell the people where they can find it, where they can find you, maybe mm-hmm. what you're working on next, all that stuff. Sure. Uh, so Outpost you uh, can get uh, in a handful of theaters, um, one of which uh, is in Plano, Texas, believe it or not. The Angelica, no shit, that's uh, where I grew up. I know. That's I'm throwing that out first at the Angelica. It's wild. playing there. It is wild. Like, you know, the, it's a it's a small release. So um, it'll be um, it'll be in Hollywood. It'll be in L.A. Hollywood, uh, Plano um, in Mentor, Idaho. I'm sorry, Mentor, Ohio and um, and I'm San so Francisco. So a lot of these if you're if you're in any of those cities, please uh, take a look. Um, but most of you uh, can find it on on demand iTunes and Amazon Prime and Vudu and uh, Google Play and all the all the usual suspects for that. And that's this uh, this Friday. Right on. Yeah. Well, 
thank you it, so much for for being here. This was this was a, a real pleasure and honor for us. Um, uh, you know, if you. you know of any other state members who happen to be Stephen King fans, please let me know so I can add to my collection. I uh, I absolutely will, and um, I just so I just want to uh, just say uh, outpostmovie.com because a lot of it is an independent movie. It is kind of hard to find most information. All information will be there. I just wanted to squeeze that plug. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And uh, and then on uh, all the social media, it it'll be at outpost the film, uh, and you can find us there too. So. Um, that's it. And oh man! And uh, again, guys, thanks for having me. This was a, a huge treat for me. I will spread the word to the state uh, for all those that may want to jump on. But um, this was a blast, and I hope I can come back at some point. Awesome, oh, yeah, man! Thank you for being here. Many thanks to Joe Latrulio. This was something that literally it happened so fast, Scott. The, the yes. turnaround from when you said like, "Oh, Joe wants to do the show," to him recording to uh, me editing and releasing it happened within what 36 hours if that if that. yeah it was uh eagle eared listeners uh, might remember we promised another episode at the end of the last week but joe came in and he had his movie uh that's coming out and uh it was like now or never kind of situation and i'm glad we finally got him uh i say finally as if we knew that he was a super king fan before this but i'm glad that we got him on and you know i've just i've never talked to this guy you you got to meet him once before as you mentioned on the show but uh yeah long time ago well we talked about that before the show yeah know. i didn't want to that story's long i didn't want to get into uh, it on air um but it all runs together for me it's all yeah, it's all the show yeah. in my my ears yeah uh, that's just the kind of party we throw over here um <laughs> but yeah uh but i haven't i haven't talked to joe since um that was you know for i you know that was might as well be a thousand years ago. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I, I wrote up a post about outpost for Fangoria and uh, I guess the distributor saw it and tagged me on Instagram. And then we got to talking and I was like, yeah, if Joe wants to do the show, you know, we'd be happy to have him and bam, bam, bam. Next thing you know, we were on the line with him. It happened very, very quickly. Um, but I'm, I'm super glad that we got him into here to talk to us. I love that guy. Yeah, and, and you know it's also great to discover another true blue like died in the wool Stephen King nerd. So yeah, so yeah, he uh, knew his shit. He did real. for sure, and he he threw out some other titles too when we asked him what he wanted to talk about. Some of them were like, okay, yeah, you know that's kind of a common King title. And some of them are really deep cut like short stories. So so it was, uh, you know, I can I can confidently say that he seemed to have a really good time and that. Um, that we'll definitely have him back on. Um, And uh, yeah, so we have uh, to tease a couple of things for you. We're going to tell you what to expect, at least kind of what to expect next week on the, the King cast on the main feed. Um, I say kind of, because we don't have a title picked out yet, but we do have the guest. Um, And the guest uh, we can say is a returning, uh, probably I would say call him a returning favorite. We love this guest. Yes. Um, He's an actor. He might have a movie coming out that might or might not have something to do with a Stephen King property. You never know. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, you should probably you should figure it out with with those clues. We don't know exactly what we're going to talk to him about, but uh, this is another uh, died in the wool Stephen King nerd. So. So whatever it is, it's going to be a lovely discussion uh, just because we know that, uh, you know, our guest rules. I don't even care if we don't know before we get on the air with him. Let's make it a surprise, you know, <laughs> like Bill Hader's episode was only on purpose. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> not because we were too nervous to scare him off by asking him too many questions. He's like, oh, yeah, they were. Yeah. Whoever was like dealing with us by the time he agreed was, um, if I remember correctly, it was just like we asked a couple times and the answer was just not forthcoming. And so mm-hmm. we were like, eh, fuck it. I guess we're going in blind. And then like <laughs> an hour or something before the recording, it was like, oh, we're going to talk about what did we even talk about with Hater? Salem's Lot, I think that's maybe right. was what he wanted to do. But yeah. yeah, that's why we titled that one question mark, question mark, question mark. Yeah, that was our thought process leading into the chat. So it's like we have no idea. And and it really doesn't matter because it's Bill Hader. Right. And similar things for next week uh, episode. It's not going to matter. Uh, yeah, this guy the, knows his know, shit. Uh, yeah, we, we, we love uh, our next week's guest and can't wait to jump back on the horn with him. Indeed. And uh, this week on the Patreon, there is, of course, a brand new bonus episode coming at you on Friday. Uh, Might be a commentary. Might not. We've got one in the works. Um, We're waiting to hear back from the guest on that. But we are working on it uh, for our Patreon gunslingers. Um, But whatever happens, it's going to be a good bonus episode. We've been uh, doing a lot of Stephen King news lately, which is not something we... You know, we're necessarily seeking out, but um, there's been a lot of shit happening in the world of Stephen King on film. And a couple of times in the last month or so, we've we've been talking about that. Uh, We've also got I don't know. We've got all kinds of episodes over there. We've got commentary tracks. We've got interviews with people that have been in Stephen King stuff. We've got uh, weird little offshoots and. Uh, of Stephen King mythology that we explore with various guests. Um, mm-hmm. You never quite know what to expect, but you can count on it being delivered to you every Friday. And as we always like to say, if you're only listening to the main feed, you're only getting half the show. Also, we just like having Patreon subscribers because more than anything, that is what is keeping the show going. You guys are the lifeblood of this operation. So, Head on over to Patreon and sign up, and we will take care of you every week. Hell yeah. So stay tuned next week for our returning guest, uh, who we're keeping a mystery for a mystery title. And uh, as always, check out our our Patreon every Friday. And I think that's about it for the bookkeeping. So, Yep, we're wrapped. Yeah, we're done. Have a good night, Scott. And I hope you all enjoyed this episode. We'll see you next week. Adios, sir. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly. <laughs>